Well, friends, good morning. It is wonderful to share this space together. We are thrilled you are here. My name is Tracy Bianchi. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff at the Oak Brook location. And we, as this little trailer indicated, have been learning a lot from movies. We are now in our final installment of the series we've been walking through this August called At the Movies an opportunity to look at popular culture, at the stories and the themes that we find in the world around us, and identify in them God. God is the giver of all stories. He is the genesis of the narrative of life, and all of the major themes that we cling to in film and in literature come from somewhere in scripture the epic struggle of good versus evil, the pain of love rejected, the long journey home that so many of us desire to make, finding friendships and camaraderie and meaning and purpose and using your gifts and skills to make a difference in the world. These are all themes that show up in some of our favorite movies and they come from the word of God. And so we've had an opportunity to look for the past few weeks at those themes as they have come to us through a variety of films. And today is our final installment in that. So would you all just pray with me again quickly as we begin then to dig into God's word together. Lord, thank you for film, for story, for culture, for the narratives, for the productions and all of the things, Lord, that we enjoy and that we cherish. And thank you, God, more than anything that you are found in them. So may, Lord, today we be found faithful to the task of knowing more about who you are because we have dared to look into your word and into the life and the world and the culture around us. In Jesus' name, everyone together said amen. Well, we have a big week coming up in our house. My oldest son will get his driver's permit this week. We are in driver's ed, friends. He will learn how to drive, and uh, we are both excited and horrified, as any of you who have had a driver in your house know, any of you who are learning drivers know what the horror on your parents' faces look like as you try to merge into traffic on 294 or whatever it might be. And I've been drawn back to memories of when I learned how to drive. And I remember when I actually got my driver's license and came home quite happy about that, my mom looked at me and she said, just because you have a license doesn't mean I am letting you drive my car. And I was like, oh, and she said, you know, it's going to be at least a year before you are allowed to drive my car. And I thought, okay, well, there, there that is. And then like two days later, she's cooking dinner and she needs milk. And she rips open the fridge, and there's no milk in the fridge. And so she sends my younger sister next door to see if one of the neighbors can give us a cup of milk so my mom doesn't have to get all the flour and the dust and the dirt of whatever she was cooking off her hands and go to the jewel. And turns out our neighbor wasn't home. And my mom turned, she looked at me and she said, I'm gonna need you to go to the store and drive the car to get some milk. And I was like, yes! I had been sent out four lanes of traffic, two stoplights later, I was at the Jewel all by myself. 
I didn't lose the keys. I didn't get in an accident. I was sent out into the world as a newly minted driver, and it turned out okay for me. Sending out is significant. Most of us remember a time where we had been sent to do something. Some of us were sent to camp. Some of you right now have been sent off to school. It's the start of an academic year. Your parents have snapped pictures and posted you all over Facebook, and you have been sent out to school. Some of you have been sent into college or career or maybe into the mission field or an adventure overseas. You've said farewell to those you love at airports or at bus stops or at train stations. Both of my grandmothers sent my grandfathers out to fight in World War II. One of my good friends here at Christ Church just sent her son into service in the Marines. There are ways we are sent out into the world. To be sent is powerful. To be sent is sometimes scary because some of us have been sent or have sent people we love into surgery or to the hospital, to the doctor's office. We get sent places. God is a God of sending. If you open the story of scripture, you find it is filled with sendings. God sends Abram and Sarai out to a place that he had yet to tell them and said, go to a land I will eventually show you. I'm sending you. He sends Moses as the leader of the Israelites and he sends them through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. God sends angels and messengers to us to warn people through scripture that he's going to send someone else. God sends Mary into birth the Son of God. Jesus sends his 12 disciples out into the towns and the villages to do his good works. And he sends the woman at the well after an encounter with him. He sends her back to her village. She tells everyone what he has done. And God sends us the Great Commission Go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are a sent people. To be sent is part of the human experience. In John chapter 1, we find a picture of tremendous sending. It is the ultimate sending. It is the sending of Jesus from his union with God to the world that we share. If you have your scripture with you, you can turn to John chapter one or pull it up on your phone or however you want, but listen now as I read to us from that word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Now the word is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Moving ahead to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word was sent. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 14, Eugene Peterson phrases it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God was sent into our world. We have been sent, God has been sent. This life we share is a series of sendings. And so today, in our final installment of this movie series, we are going to explore together a story of sending of a fifth grade boy into a school that he has never been to and into the experience of community that he has never had. It is a story called Wonder. It's a movie based off a book with the same name. That book has sold some eight million copies and if any of you are middle school students, you have probably had to or will have to read this book as part of your curriculum. The movie came out in 2017. It's set in New York City. And if you haven't seen it, what you need to know is that it is the story of a 10-year-old boy named Augie Pullman. Augie lives with his mother and his father, his older sister, and their little dog named Daisy. And the story of wonder is the story of what it means in many ways to be sent out. Only for Augie to be sent out to school is more complicated than it already is, to be honest, to be sent to school. Augie has a rare and real medical condition commonly known as Treacher-Collins syndrome. He was born with significant facial deformities, and at the point we meet him at 10 years old in the movie, he has undergone some 27 surgeries to reconstruct and rebuild his face so that he can have some semblance of a, quote, normal life, if there even is such a thing. And as you can imagine, because of the recovery from the surgeries and because of the realities of life, where if you show up in public significantly different than anybody else, you are prone to gapes and gasps and stares, Augie has lived a sequestered, sequestered life. His parents have kept him home. He's been homeschooled. When he did go out in public, he would most often wear a giant astronaut helmet. And his parents realize that eventually this is not going to be the life that is sustainable for Augie, and he has to go to school someday. And so the film is about their sending their son out into the world, beyond the walls, of his safe home. Will he be safe? Will he be mocked? Will he be belittled? It's the same question, to be honest, that many of us have asked ourselves or asked of the beloved that we've sent. Will they be accepted or rejected? Who will greet us in the lunchroom? What will happen at the beginning of this journey that will inevitably shape the end of the journey in some ways. How will we be received in the world? And that is one of the most poignant questions in this film. So to answer this question, kindness becomes a major theme in the film. The now famous tagline from the movie is just two words long. It's the phrase, choose kind. 
And when faced with a decision to act for or against another person, what will we choose? Now, we in our culture today in English would define kindness as tenderness or showing care or concern. It might be an act of benevolence or an act of giving or something grace-filled. Interesting, we also find this word show up in scripture. We are coached and encouraged in scripture to exhibit kindness and to be kind. Most famously, it shows up in Galatians 5. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. When you study that word, there's not a clean English translation for the word kindness as it shows up in the Greek language. The closest we can come to capturing it is eternally useful. To be kind, to practice an act of kindness, is to practice something that is eternally useful. So to be kind, then, does not mean that we just do whatever anybody wants, that we let people just get away with anything because we don't want to say anything. It doesn't mean that we are easily pushed around or cast aside. It means quite the opposite, that we stand up, that we use our power and our resources, our knowledge and our wisdom, our life experiences, but we use it in a biblical way, which is defined as being eternally useful. Jesus was kind, but he was not a pushover. Jesus had righteous anger. Jesus was powerful and direct. Jesus never set aside an opportunity to present truth or grace, and yet he was kind. His words and his actions and the way he engaged with people, they were eternally useful. I have a very good friend from seminary. His name's Matthew, and Matthew has worked for 15 years now as a chaplain in our federal prison system. He has served inmates in maximum security prisons who are doing life sentences for the most heinous crimes. This isn't the kid that got caught out after curfew in county jail. He has done life with convicts, many of whom, unless they were wrongfully accused, deserve punishment. They have acted against, they have injured, they have murdered, they have brought terror and horror to people, and so they are prisoners for a reason. And yet Matthew has made his life's work bringing them acts of kindness. And he shepherds and pastors men in prison, and he doesn't say, oh, what you did was okay, or you shouldn't be punished for what you did. But what he does say is there is eternal significance to who you are. No matter how horrible the act you have committed is, you are a child of God, and somewhere in your life, you still deserve an opportunity of redemption and hope and renewal, and you are deserving of an act of kindness. And so he prays with them, he leads Bible studies, he shepherds them, he mentors them, he pastors them, and when some of them are released back into our culture and society, he helps them find suits and ties and jobs, and he chases after them, and he helps extend kindness to them. Everyone deserves an act of eternal usefulness. This is a call and a sending we all receive. Now, in Augie's story, as expected, when he is sent into the world, he struggles. 
the shape and structure of his face is so remarkably different than what is typical that people stare, and children, of course, can't help but stare. His favorite holiday is Halloween because it's the one day a year he feels normal because everybody else has a mask on too. And as the movie unfolds, we find, of course, there are children that befriend Augie, but some later change their mind. There are whispers behind his back. There are jokes made. There are social opportunities avoided. He is mocked. He is ridiculed. And the power in the story in so many ways comes from the fact that we can all relate to this ourselves. We need not walk around in an Augie Pullman body to feel rejected, to feel unloved, to feel betrayed or belittled, mocked, or abused. And it is a terrible ache for Augie's parents to send him out into the world. And I remember as a parent myself, when I sent my children, my oldest, the first day to middle school, and if any of you are middle schoolers or work with middle schoolers, God bless you. <laughs> How many of you say middle school were the best days of your life? Most of us don't say that. It is a crucible of growing and hormones and horror and learning and all kinds of stuff all mixed up in this building with these children trying to figure themselves out. And I did not necessarily like my middle school days and I remember sending my own son to middle school with his too big backpack and his hope that this was gonna be as fun as everybody sold him and told him it was gonna be. And I thought to myself, oh baby, <laughs> brace yourself. And he walked out the door with his backpack and his shoulders and his head held high and he got on that bus and seven hours later he came home like this. And he dropped his backpack and I said, how was it? And he said, not good. I mean, they got him in seven hours. <laughs> this is the world that we live in. This is, this is the world that God sent his son into. And I want to invite you right now to watch the cl a clip from this film about when Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, Augie's parents in this film, when they send Augie to school for his first day. It's a beautiful story of being sent. And only a nerdy preacher like myself watches a film like that and thinks, John won. <laughs> That's what God did with Jesus. I mean, he basically took his son from the comforts of their heavenly home where they shared divinity and all that is beautiful and all that is beyond our rationale and reasoning and sent him on a middle school bus <laughs> to school, into the world. Through the doors of our fears. And as the story goes, it did not go well for Jesus. Despite God's deep desire that we would be kind to our Savior and receive him as such, we rejected him. He was, to be sure, beloved by some, but the belovedness that some had and the ease with which Jesus went through his life and the love that he came from was a source of jealousy for others. And so they plotted to kill him. He was too popular in some circles and he was therefore sabotaged and others despised him because he did not come from the right home. 
He didn't have the right resources. He was poor. His parents were impoverished, scandalized teenagers, and he didn't look the part, and he refused to play their games. And he was mocked and belittled and tormented and abused and made to feel small and insignificant and unworthy. And his own friends at the end of his life betrayed him, that servant girl who said to Peter, hey, aren't you one of his friends? And Peter was like, never met the guy. And they ran, they scattered. And he was alone, he died alone. He was not received with eternal usefulness by us, his people. And as we know, he's so rejected that he's marched through the streets and hung up on a cross, and in that moment absorbs all of the violence and the terror and the hatred that was bestowed upon him and that has been unleashed through all of human history, and he absorbs it in that one moment and transforms it into the radical act of love that is our salvation. He was sent to the cross so that we then might be sent into communion with our Father so that we might find ourselves eternally useful. So what does this look like in our lives then? What do we do to practice kindness? How can we find ourselves on the other side of that scene where Augie walks into the schoolyard and is received by kindness? Because as the film goes on, Augie walks into the schoolyard and everybody turns and stares. And kids mock him, and he comes home from his first day of school pretty beat down too. And so what does it mean for you and I as followers of Jesus and the beloved of God to practice and choose kindness in the world? Not because it's a cool tagline from a movie, but it is because it is what God would have for us. Two quick things as we close. The first If you find yourself unable to practice an act of kindness, you have to identify what keeps you from that. What keeps you from kindness? Most of us wake up in the morning and we're not determined to wreck somebody's day. We wake up and we think to ourselves, I got this. I'm gonna get my coffee, I'm gonna do whatever it is that I start my day and we're gonna go through and we're gonna make it to the end of this day. And we don't determine to injure or harm other people. And then all of a sudden, someone cuts us off in traffic. Or we look down at our watch and we realize the meeting was actually at 9.30, not 10 o'clock. Or something happens and suddenly hurry and worry and frenzy build into our lives. Or we're late and the person in front of us in the line at O'Hare is taking forever to put their bags on the conveyor belts or whatever it is and we're we're not kind and we chirp at each other and these things start to build. And then we see someone that we don't understand who comes from a different culture, who speaks a different language, who looks a different way and we don't know how to identify them or we may be scared of them or we find somebody who carries a burden in their life that we don't understand or we see someone without resources or without a home and we think, well, pff, 
I don't know what you did to deserve that, but I don't have time for this. I don't have time to enact eternal usefulness towards you. I don't have time to be kind. There's a quote from the movie that says, sometimes you don't have to be mean to hurt someone. Sometimes we don't willfully act against someone. We just don't act at all. So are you too hurried or too busy or too afraid to stop and act on behalf of someone else? To smile, to pray for someone who walks past you, to wonder how to partner with them, to look them in the eyes, no matter what the shape of their soul or life, no matter what they have done, can you enact kindness? What keeps you from kindness? And second, if you can identify those things, what you also need to identify is that others are as beloved by God as you or the people you love. That every single human being that has ever been made and ever shaped into existence is as beloved by God, that God takes them and us and sets us like this and says, go to school, <laughs> here you go in the world and then stands there like the eternal parent and prays that same prayer, please make them be nice. <laughs> God loves each of us like that. God loves you and the other people that you don't understand or you don't know or who frustrate or upset you. He loves them more than any of us have ever loved anybody, more than we love our children, our dogs, our cats, whatever it is, more than we have ever been beloved by our spouses, our friends, whatever it is, the greatest love that you have known is not as much as love of God loves every single person, no matter what they've done, no matter what tragedy they've brought, they are beloved. And they are released into the world by the Lord, just as we are, bouncing around trying to find their way through the hallway of life, and God is praying over all of us, just let them be kind. Let them be eternally useful to one another. Let them act out of love and not aggression. Let them welcome instead of distance. Let them enact my goodness and mercy and love and justice for each other. May we not determine that somebody else is unlovable or unloved because God does not do that. So who are we to remove an act of kindness from somebody else? Can you identify what keeps you from acting on behalf of others? And can we remember that every single person we meet, no matter how we come across them in life, are beloved by God, extravagantly and abundantly, and have been sent into the world, hoping and God praying that we would enact love, love and kindness, because Jesus is not physically with us. Bible tells us we are God to other people. We are the face of God to one another. The last quote I'll share from the film is this. If every person in this room made it a rule that wherever you are, whenever you can, you will try to act a little kinder than is necessary, the world really would be a better place. And if you do this, if you act just a little kinder than is necessary, someone else, somewhere, someday, might recognize in you, in every single one of you, the face of God. When you dare to enact eternal usefulness and kindness towards others, 
you represent the face of God to one another. This, my friends, is the ultimate sending. I have friends that have been sent all over the world to adventures that I will never have. One of my friends, I was hanging out with her and she brought along one of her friends who had, wow, been up Everest. I have friends who have started nonprofit organizations. I have a friend from seminary who sailed the world in his boat for a year, who was literally attacked by a modern day pirate while sailing his yacht around the world. I have friends that are rescuing children and women from slavery in the developing world. And whenever I reconnect with some of my seminary friends and they say, so what are you doing now, Tracy? And I'm like, I am driving a soccer carpool, people. <laughs> and I go to the Jewel and I get milk. Sometimes I preach on the weekend. We feel like to be sent is to do some extravagant adventure and that we're not sent unless God is sending us to some missionary mission field or something big. But here's the thing, we're sent, every single one of us, every single day to simply go into our world and walk out our door and enact kindness. That is what God is asking us to do. That is what we are sent to do. The adventures can follow, but that is the greatest adventure, is to honor our Lord and treat others the way God himself treated us. Love one another, he says, as I have loved you. For this is how, this is how they will know that you love me, that you love one another. What does Jesus call this? The greatest command, the greatest adventure, is to simply enact kindness and represent the face of God to the world around us that as we know so desperately needs it. We can do this, this is not impossible. And this is just not preacher talk, this is the call of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your loving kindness, for what you bring into our lives, for the people who cross our paths, Lord, I pray right now two things for these, our friends. First, that we would be kind people, that no matter what has betrayed us or come our way, that we would take that evil and like you did, turn it for good. May we enact kindness, eternal usefulness on each other and on this world. And second, Lord, some of us really could use a kind word. And we're desperate for someone to simply look at us and be kind to us. So Lord, whether it comes to us through the words of a friend or the face of a stranger, may we also be receiving of the kindness that we need and be reminded forever of your eternal kindness to us. In the tender, eternally useful name of Jesus, everyone said together, Amen.